it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan. It's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Hey, thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Fresh off a weekend, we have a lot to discuss. Columbus Day is here, and hopefully your statue in your town is not in a box or draped, uh, covered by a tablecloth. Uh, Columbus was a great explorer, not a perfect person, much like you uh, and me. So uh, we have a lot to discuss. Charlie Hurd is here to do it. And Mark Penn at the bottom of the hour, because the midterms are right upon us. Uh, the vice president's going to be on—I'm going to have to stay up late tonight. Remind me, Allison, Seth Meyers— uh, the vice president's going to be on Seth Meyers tonight, so another reason not to watch. Uh, I don't think anyone's watching anyway. Uh, with those those news and more, let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Sponsored by Crunch Fitness. Interested in owning your own business in a growing $30 billion industry? Check out Crunch Fitness at crunch.com. Number three. When you hear president talking about Armageddon at a random, as a random thought, just musing at a fundraiser, uh, that is a, a terrible risk to the American people if he truly believes that he ought to be out talking to us in a serious way. A bridge blows, a capital attacked, and as usual, the Russians target civilians while President Biden manages to do the impossible, ratchet up tensions between Ukraine and Russia and the world. Number two. Headline inflation will probably come down to about 8%, but core inflation, what measures the drivers of inflation and how broad they are, is still going up. So we still have an inflation issue. Mohamed El Arian, an elite economist on what we can expect this week. And it is a big week for the economy as recession looms, core inflation projected to grow, and the Dems, as a party in power, take the blame or the credit. Number one. One of our early polls was if you had to choose between someone you didn't like personally who would oppose Biden and someone you did like personally who would support Biden, which one would you pick? And 58 percent of the people in Georgia would rather have somebody they don't like personally who oppose Biden. 29 days until Election Day, and we look at where the House, Senate, and governorship stand as crime and inflation take over as major issues on voters' mind. But one issue is still trending Dems' way, and it's all about democracy. We'll discuss it. Uh, first, Charlie Hurd is here. Charlie, are you surprised that's still uh, trending high? A threat at the, uh, most American people are concerned about a threat on democracy? Uh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm, uh, I, I don't think that that is. <laughs> Is the thing that's going to be moving voters. Look, it's real simple. You know, the the most important driver in the world in in any election is the economy. And just look around. Um, The only thing that ever trumps the economy in an election is people's personal safety. And when they turn on the TV, and it doesn't necessarily have to be crime in your neighborhood. If you live in the outskirts of Philadelphia and you turn on the TV every night and children are getting shot on the way to school, walking to school, that affects the your, your, the way you view the current climate. And that's incredibly – it's always bad for Democrats right. because Republicans are sort of generally viewed as being uh, better on crime. Especially now. 
more but, than ever. But but when but, but when it's but not only you're not only are you a Democrat, but you in Washington you control every lever of power. You have the White House. You have both chambers of Congress in in Washington. It's a horrible environment. For, for an incumbent, but especially a Democrat incumbent. So they say 538, uh, Nate Silver's uh, outfit, says there's a 70% chance Republicans take the House and only a 30% chance they take the Senate. And I don't see it that way be just because if you just break down, I know each one's going to be an individual drama. Right. Uh, Don Bolduck moving up in New Hampshire, how legitimate. You look at Herschel Walker within a point or two before this uh, influx of controversial news comes up. But most people say don't care anyway. Uh, they want to correct things in Georgia. There's some people there still optimistic. And then you have Mark Kelly got trounced by Blake Masters in that debate. Blake Masters suddenly emerging. And then in the West, Adam Laxalt has just about every Democrat nervous because he could probably steal that seat, likely to steal that seat in Nevada. How do you see it playing out? Do you really think 30 percent chance to take the Senate? No, I don't. Um, I think that that um, obviously Republicans have a difficult map. And we've talked about that before. It's it's uh, the map gets much better for them in in this, in, you know, in two years and in four years. But. Uh, despite that bad map, they couldn't have a better environment to be running in. It, and and when you see the the sort of political instability, I think throughout the country, look, the reason you have upsets, the reason you have surprising elections, is because elections go differently in races we're not expecting. And so um, I think all of the ones that we're looking at that you just mentioned, um, you know, I, I, and I, I think the polling, I think that polling is. Always, I'm always suspicious of polling. I think the polling is particularly bad in this environment, especially when you have the president calling his opponents fascist. It makes it it makes it very unlikely that uh, a lot of voters are going to take those calls from pollsters and, or be honest with them. But you know, you've had a couple of polls out in the state of Washington, which is mm-hmm. died in the blue Democrat state. Patty Murray is up by three points. And we can debate whether or not that's an accurate poll or not, whatever. It's what we have to work with. Um, it's by a pollster who is more right than most of these pollsters. Um, more right wing or right? It, uh, well, more right wing. Yes, more right wing. But but it has been more correct. Trafalgar has been more correct in this environment than uh, than many of these. You know, the Washington Post had uh, Joe Biden winning the state of Wisconsin by 17 points. He barely won yeah. by less than a point. Um, my point is this: If Patty Murray is vulnerable, up by three points, if she wins in Washington State by three points, it is going to be a bloodbath. Not because you know I, I expect she'll win, but because if that's the environment we're in, all these other races are going to go the Republicans' way. I, I would I would put um, I, it, in my in, in my view, I think it's a near lock that Republicans win the Senate. Oh, Neil Locke. So here is the senior strategist on Trafalgar, Robert Kehaley, uh, with Mark Levin last night, Cut 12, about uh, what Republicans are doing. And also they're worried, uh, Republicans are now very worried about Georgia, Cut 12. You know, one of the things we did early on in Georgia, because we knew that there's nothing strange about uh, all these attacks coming, you know, right at the end of the race, right in October. You know, all of Herschel's life never heard any about this. The last year, you never heard about anybody this. And all of a sudden now, in October, it's all these attacks. We anticipated this. And one of our early polls was, 
if you had to choose between someone you didn't like personally who would oppose Biden and someone you did like personally who would support Biden, which one would you pick? And 58 percent of the people in Georgia would rather have somebody they don't like personally who opposed Biden. Right. And what you're dealing with is things that have happened in his past. Right. Uh, and go ahead. Yeah. Well, so, so one of the things that Robert Cahaley has done, right, the, the, one of the reasons he's been more accurate in these last couple of years is because he does these sort of side questions where instead of asking directly, who do you support? He'll ask, who do your neighbors supporting? Or in this case, uh, that sort of inventive question to figure out just what, how much people don't like Joe Biden. And it's very I think it's very it's proven itself to be very effective in the last couple of years. Um, but but exactly. I mean, you know, the, the, Herschel Walker is not going to lose on abortion because people are not voting on abortion. And, you know, the fact that Democrats who, you know, since when did they find abortion shocking? They only found it shocking at this moment where they can beat up Herschel Walker and they tell this story. And, you know, I, I don't know if it's true or not. I, who knows? The biggest reason to doubt it is the fact that Democrats are the ones that are pushing the story. These are the same people who hired white supremacists to show up at a, a Republican rally in Charlottesville, Virginia, during the Yunkin race. I don't trust anything these people say. When they say it, it's a, it's a reason to not believe it. And then, and then on top of that, you know, the whole issue of abortion with uh, conservatives, with the Republicans, the, the, there is forgiveness. There is people have uh, give a lot of, you know, they they're not attacking people who have abortions. They attack people. They, obviously, they, they uh, you know, even with abortion doctors, what do they do? Right. They try to pray with them on the sidewalk. I, I would I would have laughed over the weekend because they were saying that Raphael Warnock's doing this tactic of not addressing it. Not a tactic. He did. Raphael Warnock's been accused of domestic abuse. Yeah. He is pro-abortion. He has no time limit on it. He's also got huge issues with him personally. He's got an ex-wife out there saying he doesn't pay child support. And that's not a tactic. It's it's almost hoping that they don't bring him into this. Yeah, but also he you don't have to get involved in it when you have the media doing all of it for you. Yeah. And the media is so desperate to make this election all about abortion. Uh, and and the, I've got some news for you. It's not going to be about abortion. That's not what voters are. I mean, he's I, got 30 percent, 37 percent approval in Georgia. I think Georgia also stayed home during those runoffs and they yeah. stayed home during the runoffs because the president, the former president of the United States said, uh, don't trust the elections. Yeah. And, um, you know, wasn't really into it. And he came into that last uh, he came into that last rally, and all he talked about was himself and saying they really beat Joe Biden. He was robbed. And the people of Georgia said, well, I'm not going to – one of these guys is going to win. It's not going to be a big deal. Let's see if they go to correct it. I spent some time with uh, Herschel. I think he's, he's will be a great fit in the Senate. I mean, I think that he would be yeah. – between his business experience yeah, and his world background, I think it would be a good mix. Uh, we'll see if he can do it. I also think that the thing that hurts Herschel more is his son coming out. Yeah, that hurt him more than any October. That that's not an October surprise. That's yeah. but again, I, you know, at the end of the day, people are not going to be voting on uh, the, the people are going to be voting on economic issues and and, and you know who crime. agrees with you? Listen to this, Terry Moran of ABC Cut Eleven. Not as great an impact, obviously, as it would have had ten years ago. There is a sense now that as long as the guy is on your team, that the most important issue in American politics isn't what you believe in; it's who do you hate. Uh, and while Walker's not a hater, parties are now that antagonistic that it's clear millions of Republican voters will overlook 
something that would have destroyed a candidacy just a few years ago. The problem for Walker is, what else is he running on except that he was a football player and a Christian? And while his football record can't be questioned at all, I think this does damage him, and he doesn't really have a lot of other things to say. He does have a lot to say. He talks about his upbringing, being one of seven kids, being a fat kid that was bullied, that was a self-taught athlete that found a way to work his way through college and then became a very successful business person. His chicken business is is titanic. Yeah. No, these people are such morons. And th- these are all the but people. But the beginning part was correct. Yeah. They, but they, they, and, and, and they don't they don't get politics and they don't get voters. They don't know voters. They don't talk to voters. They have no idea. And 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 I've we've talked about this before. The, the 2016 election was the single most issue oriented campaign that we have ever seen a presidential campaign in our lifetimes. It was all about issues. It's not about haters. It's not about voters who hate people. That's not what this is about. This is about people who see their country being wrecked by politicians in Washington and wanting to do something about it. And this guy comes along who is not a politician, who could be vulgar, who could be, you know, say things that we don't like, but who focused on the issues of illegal immigration uh, you know the economy, the the threat from China. Talked about those issues that, and and even Republicans had ignored them for for thirty years. And you got a guy like Herschel Walker and all these other candidates who are running on that exact same America First agenda, which is it, it's it's all about issues. It's not about hating somebody or hating the other guy or even hating Biden. People wanted Biden to succeed. Biden stinks. He's a terrible president. Every decision he's every piece of misery that people are living under right now in America is a direct result of his policies. And it's oil and gas and what he decided yeah. to do over the weekend. It's a is, Terry a, moron a talking about. Yeah, it's, it's, it, they, they sound like idiots. Moran. Uh, and also. Oh, is it? Yeah. And also, he I'm wants to ban apparently. offshore. Yes, uh, he wants to ban offshore drilling. Now he's considering. Can you believe that? That's the way you're going to respond to the fact that. And then, and then they're going to complain about gas prices. Wait a minute. No, this is these gas prices are exactly what you wanted. Right. You, you, you know, and Bernie Sanders and Chuck Schumer talking about we're going to pass a NOPEC bill and really go after OPEC for raising gas prices. This Good is luck what, with that. Was yeah, it 1971? But, but, it's also, but it's also what they want. Right. They hate the internal combustion engine. They hate Americans driving their children to school. They hate people driving to work. They want gas prices to be so high you have to buy a Tesla right. and, and, or walk. But Mimo, Elon Musk is the one saying we got to get oil and gas prices down. Yeah. So he yeah. understands uh, what's going on, and he's Mr. Electric Car. He and these are all right. issues. This is not hating people. Right. Let's take a break, come back, have a few more minutes, and then at the bottom of the hour, Mark Penn comes in and gives us an idea what the landscape looks from his perspective. We've got ABCs and CBSs over the weekend. You listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show on this Columbus Day. We're proud of Columbus, a great explorer. Thanks for finding the free world and then letting us in. Challenging conventional thought and wisdom. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The Fox News Rundown, a contrast of perspectives you won't hear anywhere else. Your daily dose of news twice a day. Featuring insight from top newsmakers, reporters, and Fox News contributors. Listen and subscribe now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. 
Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan, but you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. You have said you think it's more likely than not that he will run again in 2024. Is there anything other than health that you think prevents him from doing so at this point, Maggie? I think a fear of losing, and I think a, a disinterest in, in the process the way it is now. I, you know, there is a bitterness around him and a, a quickness to anger that, you know, he was always pretty quick to anger, but it has gotten more intense. Those are the reasons I could see, you know, something unforeseen, like something related to one of these cases, these legal cases, maybe. But I think he has backed himself into a corner and has to run. That Maggie Haberman, who just wrote another book that the president sits down and gives her all hours of conversation. Charlie Hurt with us now. What do you think about her theory? He's backed into a corner to run. He doesn't really want to. Um, I think that uh, I've never bought this thing that he thinks that he might lose because that's not how Trump looks at things. I don't think he thinks in terms of losing, he's uh, a risk taker. He, that's kind of the way he looks at everything. And, I, and obviously he's running right now, but I, I do think it's interesting the amount of time he gives to Maggie Haberman um, and, because she's never, you know, it's not like, it's not like she's grateful. Right. Well, it's not like, it's not like he ever gets uh, a, a particularly fair shake out of her. I don't think ever. And and but what I think is interesting is, and this is what I both this is the problem with the Trump and this is the thing I love about Trump. The problem is that he keeps going back and he keeps talking to people who are clearly he's never going to get the story he wants out of her, and he keeps going back. But the, and and that's the part that makes you want to bang your head against the wall. But the part about it that I love is that he just like. He looks at every. He doesn't look in terms of losing anything. He always looks at things in terms of opportunity and how I'm going to win this. He also looks at every situation and says, "I'm gonna win this person over." Um, this time I've gotten my hand. Why would burned. you see with Leslie Stoll? Why would you see with Leslie Stoll right. in 60 minutes right, right before because, the election? Because he honestly, in his heart of hearts, he thinks that again. Go back to the issues. He's right on all these issues. He thinks that other people are being uh, honest brokers with him about stuff, and he's gonna win them over. And obviously, it it he ends up getting burned every time he does it. Uh, yep. But I sort there's something about I, I mean that's kind of, there's something sort of uniquely American. Not about afraid. That. Not afraid, but also ever hopeful. You want to talk about hope and change? That's hope and change right, right there, baby. And, and you know it, it's hopeless. I have to say. <laughs> Uh, always great to see you, Charlie. Great to see you. All right. Uh, Mark Penn coming up next. You listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here on Columbus Day. Find a parade to march in. And don't box up your statue. You heard me.
information you want truth you demand this is the brian kilmeade show crime is a big issue and we talk a lot about inflation we talk about abortion most republican candidates are running on crime and particularly uh, in wisconsin it is working to devastating effect on mandela barnes uh, republicans uh, ron johnson uh, is someone who should be very vulnerable but he, he has, has been, been hitting the, the, this crime issue. And it, in some places, it's just going to work better than others. And in Wisconsin, it is working. I asked somebody, a, a plugged-in political operative in Wisconsin, why is it working so, so well there? He said one word, Kenosha. So that's just it. If crime hits you in big and small cities from Birmingham to Long Island, then you know it's a major issue, not manufactured by a slick ad or a cultural issue that people may or may not uh, subscribe to. Many people think that might be education. Mark Penn, chairman of the Harris Poll and chief executive of Stagwell Inc., a Fox News contributor. Mark, welcome back. What do you think uh, crime is? Is how important in this election? Well, I have been surprised uh, that crime is surging as a national issue. I mean, it, it obviously is going to play big in a governor's and a mayor's race, but I'm seeing it play now in Senate races as well, like in Pennsylvania. It's shot up from really like way down on the chart to the number two, number three issue nationwide. I mean, you know, when I worked with President Clinton in the 90s, it was a major issue. And in fact, a lot of our first TV spots were about crime. But since then, it's almost been gone as a national issue. And now uh, do you think the whole defund the police movement, get rid of ICE movement, uh, the, the fact that you have all these things that were working so much for the Democrats two years ago seem to be working against them now. Well, crime is up. And, and you know, if you go back, murders are up 4%, but a lot of the communities aren't even reporting. And it was up 20% the year before. There were typically about 15,000 murders in the country. Now that's pushing twenty to 22,000. That's thousands of extra deaths here. Plus, people see these horrific incidents in which people people commit a crime and then are back out uh, back out on the street. I mean, even with with uh, you know Governor candidate uh, Zeldin, uh, he, he was, as you recall, originally attacked, and the person was let out, and the federal government had to intervene. Yeah, uh, that was the embarrassment of it, and also we're watching what's happening the subway crime. We watch uh, what happened to Lee Zeldin yesterday afternoon. He is in the Bronx at a parade for Columbus. His two 16-year-old daughters are doing homework in the house when two shots ring out down the block. I know his neighborhood is pretty nice. And uh, and now he uh, has to rush home to find out that it was two teens shooting at each other. But we know red, the whole randomness of crime is part of it. They might say he's not targeted, but was that parent of a Marist student targeted as he made coffee in the lobby of a Marriott hotel? No, it was two homeless guys shooting at each other. Here's what Lee Zeldin said, because he got attacked and accused of trying to politicize a shooting right by his house. Cut 13. Some would say that maybe um, when your family has just been through this, it might not be a good time to talk politics. What would you say to critics who might say that? You're talking about politics. I, I didn't I'm surprised that you, you or someone else might even look at it that way. I mean, at, at what point are we supposed to talk about the crime on our own streets? I'm standing in front of crime scene tape in front of my own house. You can't get me more outraged than right now. So, I mean, this is the type of thing that uh, obviously the press is, is not for him in New York. Uh, no, he's, he, look, he, he's got a, a very tough race in New York. Uh, 
although Hochul was not uh, an elected governor, she does have a, a good reputation upstate. And so I think Zeldin's well-positioned in the suburbs. We'll see if he can uh, turn her upstate base. That's what he would really need. Trafalgar had a poll that was a lot closer than the other polls. Look, I think crime, when it's a big issue in New York, you know, New Yorkers really care about basic safety issues at the end of the day. And I think this incident just illustrates how it's coming closer and closer to every part of the state. Yeah, and when it hits you and then he gets attacked on stage and then he gets uh, shooting down the block, you don't have to say, well, you're going to go reach for an issue that doesn't affect you. It uh, absolutely affects him. Can I go through some races for you, if, if that's okay? Uh, I was sure. surprised in Michigan, 53-47, Tudor Dixon closing the gap uh, with Gretchen Whitburn. Do you think, what is the message there that could be resonating if you were to coach either candidate? Well, you know, I, I've always been surprised at how much strength Whitner had. I mean, she she look she acted so poorly during I thought the pandemic overreacted didn't didn't help the economy you know basically you know takes extreme far left positions I've always been surprised that she isn't more vulnerable so this poll you know I saw that the other day previous polls had showed it much wider you know if I were in Michigan you know and my economy was the way it is and 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 she continued to be governor with no real economic plan. You know, uh, I, I certainly would think she'd be vulnerable to strong messaging. So that to CBS poll has a, has a six point gap. We'll see. Evers Michaels, 50 50 a dead heat. Evers was up pretty. Tony Evers was up pretty considerably. Now it's a dead heat. I think that has a lot to do with crime, right? Kenosha. Yep. I mean, I think I think it's a lot to do with crime. I think Michigan has something to do with crime, but I think certainly that races is one that could be tilted because of crime. Katie Hobbs in Arizona and Carrie Lake, they had almost a parallel debate. They won't debate. Hobbs doesn't want to. Says the schedule's too crowded. Lake is a Trump candidate who's extremely talented, a great broadcaster, and it comes across on the stump. Uh, 50-50 in Arizona. That's a state like Georgia, hard to figure out where it's trending. What's going to be the make or break between these two? Well, you know, again, Carrie Lake got over cancer. She's been a sympathetic, I think, strong, uh, uh, strong candidate. Look, it, it, it looked like that state was pretty squarely in the D column, you know, that 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 it really wasn't able to convert the, the, the change in Latino vote over to the, you know, over to the Re- Republicans. I think that's really what's going to want to going to play critically in in this race. Uh, and, and again, another one, I think that that basically had been had been, you know, said, hey, that race is over. And you are seeing, you know, with, you know, something close to 30 days left, a lot of closing here in these various races. And they are closing mostly in the Republican direction. I also uh, want to see what you think about uh, what's going on in Arizona. On paper, Mark Kelly, two years ago, I said, this guy's going to be around for a long time. Because you could say that he's a, you know, he fights in the, he's in the military as a pilot. Then he goes as an astronaut. And then in a state that's not bright red anymore, you would think that he'd go down there and kind of split the difference, be more of a moderate, more like Manchin. But he has virtually been invisible when he does speak up has been for Biden until recently. So they have a debate. Evidently, uh, uh, Masters, what I've seen, too, did exceedingly well. Going in in this poll, the CBS poll, it's 5148 Blake Masters just got an infusion from a Trump super PAC. How's that close? Again, uh, uh, that same thing. I think you saw 
Uh, again, that race had been pretty much uh, judged as a, as, a, as a solid or lean D race. Masters had a, a really good debate. It was an effective, I think, takedown. And, and now it's, you know, is it a toss-up? Well, you know, it's not quite a toss-up yet, but, but these are all, you know, when polls close in the Republican direction, we have found those polls to generally be accurate, right? What we found in the polls is, is an overestimation of, of, the, of the Republican side. You know, is crime, immigration, the economy, are these issues mounting up in, in Arizona, and will, the, will they be able to flip the state? Uh, I'm not totally convinced. I think the Republicans are coming close. But I think we're going to have to, you know, see what happens in, a, in the next 10 days. Mark Penn, you do the Harris Bowl. And this is a very interesting time in which almost a lot of people aren't getting landlines. And the question is, how do you get a hold of people to get accurate statements uh, where they stand, especially in the era of Trump where people feel, and you heard Kanye West talk about it on Friday, they're going to be vilified if they come out in particular for Trump. So how do you look at a poll and think to yourself, do I have something in front of me that's accurate? Uh, you know, we, we look at that question all the time. Generally now, the polls that we do are, are 100% online. You know, everyone is online. Not everyone, uh, you know, as you point out, or a diminishing group of people have household lines. I, I don't think there's any, any question that online is the way to reach them. Are they, you know, it's also a way for people to be a little bit more anonymous, feel a little bit more comfortable. Look, last cycle, I had polls that, like in, in Michigan, for example, that I simply didn't believe, and I threw them away rather than present them publicly. <clears throat> I'm not quite seeing that effect yet, right? I, I do think the question is whether or not there's a two- or three-point, you know, hidden Republican vote in some of these polls because of shy Republican voters. I'm always wary in some of these Senate races where one $200 million are spent. It, it seems to create a media atmosphere where people – People don't give give accurate polling, you know, in, in those cases. And and, and so uh, right now, do I think these polls, went, as I said, since they're closing in the Republican direction and we generally have seen a bias, you know, against the Republicans in the polling, I have to believe that this is a real trend that we're seeing. All right. Uh, Mark Penn, always great. Thanks so much, Mark. Thank you. All right. When we come back, I'll take your calls. one 866 There's been a barrage of rockets into some major capitals in Ukraine. Why? Because Russians had that bridge that they built to link Crimea to Russia proper, an area they stole in 2014, blown up over the weekend. And they're losing in every close, situ- close combat situation. And they're losing in parts of the south, which they needed so much and, uh, and had so early. They're beginning to lose Kyrgyzstan by the day. What will this latest barrage mean? We'll bring you the latest from Ukraine. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. This week, President Biden pardoned thousands of convicted marijuana users, and it feels like maybe he celebrated with them a little because yesterday, Biden gave a speech at a car factory and opened with this. Let me start off with two words, made in America. Wow. Well, let me respond with two words, Jesus H. Christ. (laughs) Biden was then heard criticizing reporters at the White House for shouting questions at him. Questions like, what year is it? And who's the current president? (laughs) Also, they weren't reporters, they were doctors. 
Yeah, uh, that's getting there. I mean, you, you can't avoid it. Made in America got a total pass over the weekend. You know, that was good. That being said, like, that was the only joke on Biden essential in the weekend update. It was also very harsh against many Republican candidates. Oh, really? Yes, but yeah. that one was funny. Well, I, you know what? I, for some reason, my DVR did not tape it. Usually, they doesn't pick up taping if it's a repeat. So I thought, wow, what, what's going on with that? So what about the what about the opening uh, cold open? The cold open, it was decent. We actually have a little cut from there if you want to hear about that too. It's a okay. cut forty four. The game is simple. I'll read real stories from the news, and if you keep your cool, you win big money. All right, Heather, you're up first in the hot spot. I'm going to read you some headlines, and to tell if you've hit your breaking point, you have in front of you a Today Show-sized glass of wine. Let's play. Let's start with Ukraine. A massive bridge explosion today cut off the Russian supply chain. I saw that. Hopefully it brings this war one step closer to an end. Well, on Thursday, Biden said we are closer to nuclear Armageddon than we've been in 60 years. Don't know where to put that in my brain, but I love Biden. Totally. Me too. Do you know how old he is? Did you know that when Joe Biden was born, we didn't have highways? (laughs) That's a fun fact. Joe Biden was 53 years old when he got his first home computer. Why are you doing this? I'm not doing anything. Need a sip of that wine? Nope, I'm totally good. Your next item is a video clue. Please enjoy this clip of Biden talking about his mental acuity. How would you say your mental focus is? Oh, it's focused. (laughs) I think it's, I I haven't, look. That's a snap. I mean, that's what we deal with every day. And we just can't believe other people aren't aren't living this and understanding that, right? No, one hundred percent. So I mean, that was that was the highlight of the cold open, and then the other joke was the highlight of the weekend update that we can play on the air. Right, but, um, that was it. They were the only. How could you jokes. not be playing? I mean, the Armageddon comment didn't come up. Well, I mean, it came up in the cold open a little bit. They didn't like play the cut, but they mentioned it in that. But that was it. I mean, I didn't watch the whole show. I sort of just do the cold open and weekend update. But, uh, I know. It's impossible. This gets is so terrible. It is like a high school play. I mean, what happened? They're talentless. You know, I, I think it goes off the air. What do you think at 50? I, I, don't you think that they either have to – I mean, I don't even – talent. Well, I mean, the other question is do they make money, right? Does NBC still profit off of them? So, I mean, there's other things, right, other than straight ratings. Big story over the weekend, like, the hit, like tele, is late-night television just about done. Everybody's losing money. And the word is, even though they signed Fallon and re-signed Kimmel, will they, uh, not ABC, but NBC, will they push him to a streaming service? And will they let people pay for it, make it more sense to give somebody the salary, cut their staffs significantly? Because it doesn't pay anymore. It's not Carson talking to celebrities. You don't need it. You don't need And James Corden walking away is almost unheard of. Conan O'Brien walked away making more money, more influence now as a podcaster and hiring other people to go under his umbrella. But isn't it funny? That's the conversation where they go to the streaming service as opposed to the executive saying, stop being so political and just be funny again. Right. That might be interesting to see if they did that. Mm-hmm. That if you had the right talent to, to, to straddle both lines, where you'd say to yourself, wow, I got to find out what the late night comics think. Now you don't care. So let's talk about what's happening in Ukraine. Uh, so the president says we're facing Armageddon. So irresponsible. It's unbelievable. Now, 
I gave him the benefit of the doubt leading up to February 25th invasion when he and his party and the Secretary of State kept saying, I got intelligence, I have intelligence, I said the Russians are going to invade, they're going to invade. I thought to myself, what's going on here? Are we trying to show off that we know exactly what they're up to to stop them from actually doing it because we're predicting it? Almost like Tony Romo before the before a play, he says, oh, this is going to be a pass and he ends up being right. Well, it turns out the invasion happened anyway. And what was pretty clear, the president thought in three days Ukraine would fall. What also was pretty clear, he was 100% wrong. Eight months later, we're still in this war, and now we're beginning to give them the weapons they need to be successful. Why? They're better fighter, better organized, and the Russians are absolutely awful. So, yes, over the weekend, they blew up this bridge that leads from Ukraine, excuse me, Russia into Crimea, which should be Ukraine. They stole it in 2014. They built the bridge and they said, Russian people, you now have your jewel. You have your place to vacation. They're not going to go there. And now without the bridge going there, blowing it up, it shows how the Ukrainians have penetrated deep into Russian psyche and embarrassed Vladimir Putin, of all things, on his birthday. And because of that, there's been a barrage of rockets on major cities. They killed 13, wounded about 60. And the Russians are fine with that because they aim for civilian sites and claim just the opposite. So they hit Kiev, they hit Lviv, and hit some other areas, uh, Zaporizhia. So they hit those areas. But for the most part, the Russians know they're losing. This guy evidently... I've heard from a pretty good source, has got people on his inner circle uh, letting him know this is not going to work. And they can't win. So what they're trying to do is wreck the inf- uh, Ukraine infrastructure, get the maximum torture this year. And the, when winter sets in, my hope is there's been plenty of time for them to come up with different ways to, uh, to keep that infrastructure running, keep the water going, keep the heat on. Uh, at least that's my hope. Western Europe will certainly feel the pinch. But in the end, if you can get rid of Ukraine as a blister, as a cancer on the free world and let Russia know for once and for all that they'll not be able to bully anyone because we know there's no teeth there, that would be worth it. And Ukraine still being a free and fair country, maybe a part of the European Union, that would even be more worth it. Fox News headquarters in New York City. Always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show from 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan. Heard around the country, heard around the world. Uh, We know it's Columbus Day, a holiday I think should be firmly uh, in America on every American's calendar to celebrate the great explorer who never got to this nation proper, but now they want to box it up and say he was not a perfect leader once he got to that foreign land, which was, we call, North, South uh, America and the Caribbean. Uh, I don't. Uh, perfect people, uh, not every perfect person is on a statue, and not every uh, statue has a perfect person. He is a significant person. So the Columbus Day, bring that argument, and I'll bring that up to Michael Goodwin. He's going to be with us shortly. Bottom of the hour, uh, we're going to have Mike Pompeo here, the former Secretary of State. He's got a book coming out in January, but we'll discuss it with us here, as well as the major events affecting all of us. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. When you hear President talking about Armageddon at a random, as a random thought, just musing at a fundraiser, uh, that is a, a terrible risk to the American people if he truly believes that he ought to be out talking to us in a serious way. A bridge blows, a capital attacked, and as usual, the Russians target civilians, while President Biden managed to do the impossible, ratchet up the tensions. Number two. 
headline inflation will probably come down to about 8%. But core inflation, what measures the drivers of inflation and how broad they are, is still going up. So we still have an inflation issue. Really? Big week for the economy. Recession looms. Care, uh, core inflation predicted to grow. And the Dems as a party in power have to take the blame and the acclaim. Number one. One of our early polls was if you had to choose between someone you didn't like personally who would oppose Biden and someone you did like personally who would support Biden, which one would you pick? And 58% of the people in Georgia would rather have somebody they don't like personally who opposed Biden. Wow, that is Trafalgar's senior strategist. 29 days to Election Day, we look at where the House, Senate, and governorships stand on crime. And inflation takes over. Uh, one issue that the Democrats have that's among the people's, uh, in the people's mind that it's more in their corner than Republicans' corner, that's election integrity. Michael Goodwin, New York Post columnist, Fox News contributor. Michael, things like are trending towards Republicans, all except the abortion decision, which seems to be fading in proportion, along with election integrity, seems to still be in the top five. Well, good morning, Brian. Yes, it's not surprising. I think that, uh, you know, the amount of attention the Democrats and their media handmaidens have given to election security as though somehow the, the, the country's in great danger of, uh, of a rigged vote somewhere and that uh, these insurrectionists are just waiting uh, to pounce. Yeah. Uh, Look, I mean, I think that that is going to get a lot of people's attention along with abortion. But I'm a firm believer that everybody in the end votes in their own self-interest and self-interest. Uh, how you how you decide what that is, what's most paramount, I think for most people becomes down to daily life. It doesn't come down to issues and, and uh, agendas in the way that the political class thinks of it. But I think it just comes down to self-experience. And what are you experiencing? What is your what are your what is your neighborhood? What is your family? What are your friends experiencing? And I think that the common denominator for all of that, uh, there are several of them. First, obviously, inflation and the cost of everything. It is extraordinary what things cost now. Um, and then secondly, I think crime. Safety, a sense of security. Uh, these, I think, are, are the, are, to me, will be the winning issues. Uh, it's not that everybody will follow them. A lot of people, you know, who aren't concerned about inflation because they can afford whatever. But for most people, it is. Uh, some people have private securities or things like that. Uh, but for most people, I think it is personal security and for their, for their families, for their children. Mm-hmm. And so I think... You know, years ago, someone uh, said to me about, you know, writing in a, in a city like New York. He said, you know, there are several things that go into what people think about. You know, will I have a job? Can my kids get to school safely? Can they get home safely? I mean, it's all pretty basic stuff. And I think that's where we are. When people talk about a base election, I think it's not base. It's basic. Katie Hobbs is one of the many Democrats who talked about what you wrote about Sunday, and that's illegal immigration. The border's busted. Cities are being overwhelmed. No more overwhelmed than New York City, whose shelters, well, they are bursting at the seams. They're overrun. They're renting hotels and making 10 cities. Realizing this, more Democrats are just criticizing the president, to me, insincerely, because they're just trying to save their own political hide. Here's Katie Hobbs, who's running for governor of Arizona. Cut 39. 
As a border state, we have borne the brunt of decades of inaction in Washington from both parties to address both border security and comprehensive immigration reform. Uh, and, uh, and we need the federal government to step up. Trump centered his whole immigration policy around finishing the wall, and it's not done. And um, but Biden does need to step up immigration and border security. Absolutely. Uh, Arizona is bearing the brunt of of um, illegal drug trafficking, gun trafficking and smuggling. Uh, and we do need more border security. Wow. Now she says it but doesn't vote anything like that. But that's how desperate the internal numbers are, Michael. Well, yes, because I think it's it's so obvious, right? I mean, and and you, I think we have to give uh, uh, you know some applause to the Republican governors of the border states who who really not only flagged this issue in their own states, but the decision by uh, uh, Greg Abbott in Texas, uh, Ducey in Arizona, and uh, uh, Ron DeSantis in Florida. in Florida, yeah, to send them north. I think has been a wake-up call because you cannot deny it now. When you when you think about, say, New York City, the mayor Eric Adams uh, saying that perhaps seventy-five thousand will come to New York City. Seventy-five thousand is a lot of people, but it's a drop in the bucket compared to the more than four million that have come across the border. I mean, where are all these people going? Who is going to care for them? Most, you know. Almost all of them, to my understanding, Brian, cannot work for at least six months. Uh, you know, they're going to public schools in New York City. 5,500 already are registered. What is the level of their education? Can they learn anything in English? What about the burden uh, I, on the teachers? The teachers got to worry so, about this now. Yeah, I mean, New York now spends, on, this is an unbelievable number, New York State spends on average 34 thousand dollars per student per year 34 i mean it is far and away just about double the national average but we, we get lousy results for it so now you're going to have an additional influx of kids who are not prepared who are who you know don't have a permanent place to live i mean all of the health care issues the language the well michael this report over the weekend that they're walking around these hotels though the illegal immigrants asking for money they have no food money they don't have a job they have no prospects they have no clothes so can you imagine this they're landing at uh, they're landing at the Rio Grande Valley. They're coming to New York City, Chicago, uh, Philadelphia, Washington, and guess what? They have nothing. So now it's our fault, and now it's our business. In, in a state, in a city that's overrun with tax hikes, now we have to take our tax dollars and put it towards other people's citizens. Are you crazy? When there's so much need here. Yeah, well, and that's and that's precisely the point, Brian. When you say to Joe Biden or Ron Klain or Susan Rice, what were you thinking? What what are you thinking that you somewhere in your brain you believe this is acceptable that you can just open the border? I mean, the population of Central America wants to come here. What's going to stop them now? You're not going to stop them. This whole idea of comprehensive immigration reform, that's such a talking point from 20 years ago. It has nothing to do with what's going on now. You cannot have any bipartisan solution to immigration issues as long as the border is open. That is the – Donald Trump realized that. Yes, Katie Hobbs is correct. He didn't finish the wall, but not for lack of trying. It's the Democrats. It's Joe Biden – 
who demolished even parts of it, who wouldn't complete it. I mean, all of their talking points have led to this reality. And so are we going to just keep talking about these things? I mean, every day that the border is open, we are creating another problem for future generations because there is no end to it. It's not going to stop on its own. Yeah, I love when people say, well, without comprehensive health care, just uh, uh, immigration reform has nothing to do with it. Just enforce the border. These are, this is stuff that doesn't need to be addressed. Just do your job. Lastly, the Hunter Biden revelations that they're getting close to an indictment, you included in your column. What significance does that have leading to this election? Well, look, as I say in the column, Brian, I think there are two possibilities. One is that they finally are going to charge him, or B, number two, uh, we're being misled again into thinking they were ever serious about charging him. I say bet the ranch on number two. I believe this is just a faint this is this is another thing to to the leaks are all about softening the ground for the final punt, which is that some kind of muted civil agreement where uh, the records are sealed. He doesn't do any prison time. He pays a big fine and it, it all melts away. It's all just a nothing burger. See all of that storm and drong that you all, you know, all you uh, conservatives drummed up. It was nothing. He's just a good kid, you know, who had a drug problem and uh, nothing to see here now. You know, nothing. The big guy, that's, well, we're we're not going to talk about the big guy. That's just, uh, that's old news, right? That's disinformation, old news, whatever you want to call it. So I just think in the end, this is the only way we're going to get any kind of satisfaction, any sense that justice uh, is blind, is going to be, uh, you've got to get uh, a new attorney general. You've got to ha- That's why a special counsel was so necessary in the beginning, someone independent of Merrick Garland. Look, I think Merrick Garland has turned out to be uh, a, a really naked partisan. And when you think about what he's done, I mean, the whole a- approach to Trump, and his associates, to the parents who complained at school boards, right? The disproportionate number of right-to-life demonstrators who are being arrested as opposed to none of those who firebomb, uh, you know, the right-to-life uh, the right to life groups, the, the anti-abortion clinics, uh, it's just everything is nakedly partisan. And so justice, we're, we're back to 2016 again with spying on the Trump campaign. It just feels like the Department of Justice has now become really right. partisan, really corrupt. I think so, too. I'm very curious. I also thought Mark Levin had an interesting theory on Hunter in that we're going to charge Trump. So to show there's equal justice, we'll go after uh, some charges on Hunter first. But meanwhile, the only thing I care about with Hunter is international business dealings. I could not care less about his gun charge, could not care about uh, about any other uh, paying his taxes. I want to know where the money is from these international business deals and how we sold out our history uh, how he sold out our foreign policy for his dad's benefit and what his dad knew. But about him, they want to make him a sympathetic figure. Don't fall for it. Uh, Michael Goodwin, go pick up his columns at nypost.com. Thanks, Michael. My pleasure. Thank you, Brian. You got a one 866 We'll get to your calls in just a moment. Bottom of the hour, Mike Pompeo in studio will be great. Don't move. Expanding your knowledge base. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. A talk show that's real. 
This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. This is what is wrong with this country. Our real division isn't between red and blue. It's between the people on both sides who aren't willing to mingle with Americans outside their political tribe. And so have no idea what they're really like. And the people on both sides who are willing to do that. Of course, Mark Fincham never met a Biden voter and probably thinks Democrats eat babies because every because everybody he knows voted for Trump because he never leaves his hermetically sealed right wing panic room. (laughs) And I could say the same of many liberals who would never even talk to a Trump voter. I asked a friend of mine recently if he wanted to come to a little party I was having. And when he found out one of the guests had voted for Trump, he told me he wasn't coming because, quote, I wouldn't breathe the same air. Okay, there's a word for people like this. What was the word? Do you know, Allison? I do. I bleeped it. It starts with an A. Oh, okay. Uh, That's, uh, he's 100% right. And one thing about him, he does have people on from all walks of life. I didn't hear it, but uh, Chris Christie was on Friday, wasn't he? He was. It was good. Yeah. So I, I did not see he was not on this week with George Stephanopoulos because Stephanopoulos wasn't on. So Chris Christie was on. He's somebody that would take both sides and he won't kill Trump, but he won't uh, necessarily pace Trump. Uh, he's now they're they're somewhat, uh, I think, uh, frenemies, so to speak. But I see uh, on the list, I did not see this interview, but I see on, on the list, I think that the Democrats ultimately are going to elect a celebrity. It's going to be some type of celebrity because there's not a governor, congressman, or a go- anybody out there, a senator, that I think will be big. And I think it'll probably be someone like The Rock. Do I think The Rock would actually jump in? No. Likely not. But it would be somebody like that. Cut 41. So you really enjoy those tea parties? Tracy, <laughs> I love them. And that's the kind of thing that seems to make the public love him all the more. In fact, he's been talked about seriously as a presidential candidate. A 2021 poll showed nearly half of voters would pick him for the White House. It's even something he and Tom Hanks joked about a few years back when Johnson hosted Saturday Night Live. But when we asked, Dwayne Johnson told us that a run for the White House was was not going to happen. Is running for president off the table now? It's off the table. Yes, (laughs) it is off the table. I will say this because it requires the B side to this. I love our country and everyone in it. I also love being a daddy. And that's the most important thing to me is being a daddy. Number one, especially during this time, this critical time in my daughter's lives, because I know what it was like to be on the road and be so busy that I was absent um, for a lot of years in my first daughter's growing up in these critical age, at this critical time in her life. And that's what the presidency will do. So my number one priority is my daughters. Sure, CEO sounds great, but the number one thing I want to be is daddy. That's it. I'm not sure how old this kid is, but see, the thing is, would he become the rock had he not been on the road? Had he not been this successful? If he says, says, oh, you know, I'm going to go, I'll do a few matches here and there, maybe do a pay-per-view if it works out. But maybe if it's a back-to-school night, I'll cancel that that movie. I won't go uh, shoot that that HBO special. So it's easy to say that now at 50-something, but would he have said it now at at 30-something? Well, no, but it's also easier to say it now when you're very financially secure yeah, and don't need to go on the road. Right. I'm not saying he's not sincere, but that doesn't mean so when that kid gets what? 
10 years old, 10 years from now, that means he could run. Let's see if he's, if he's still somebody. But it brings us to the other, the other question of who's going to be running for president next. And we have Mike Pompeo coming up. I'll ask him that question. Alyssa Slotkin, Democrat, was asked about Biden. Listen to what she said. Cut 23. He's the sitting president. If he decides to run again, I'm going to support him. The party's going to support him. That's, you know, that is a, has a long history in our country. But I have been very vocal, including with my own leadership in the House, that we need a new generation. We need new blood, period, across the Democratic mm. Party, in the House, the Senate, and the White House. That would be interesting. Uh, Also, maybe they need somebody older. Maybe Joe Biden is too young for some people. Uh, There is the the whole leadership. Nancy Pelosi is going to be gone soon. Uh, I think Biden will be gone soon. And we'll see if somebody's going to step up there. You know, see if Akeem Jeffries will emerge or somebody else on the left. And Mitch McConnell, I'm sure he's not going to run again. So somebody else like a John Thune might step up. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, welcome back, everyone. With me in studio, if you're smart enough to be watching Fox Nation, you can see Mike Pompeo, the former U.S. Secretary of State, CIA Director, and Congressman from Kansas. Welcome back, Mr. Secretary. Brian, it's great to be back with you. I know you got an announcement. Your book's coming. It's called Never uh, Give an Inch. You're done with it. Fighting for the America I Love. So that's coming out in... February? In January. January. You can buy it today. Go to MikePompeo.com or to Amazon, and you can pre-order it, and we'll have it for you uh, in first part of January. Right. So you're done. When did you finish? It's done. We finished just a few weeks ago. It took uh, every bit of the time since I left office to get it done. Uh, but it's got some great stories. A CI director gets to see a, a lot of very interesting things. Uh, you know, I talk about my faith, too, and how it impacted how I thought about my time in service. And then about the four years, stories that just people don't know because the media didn't want to talk about the things President Trump and I were doing. They wanted to tell some other story about the Russia hoax. We delivered really good outcomes for the American people. We put them first, and we did good stuff. I remember uh, I realized how petty it was going to be when you were not confirmed by inauguration. Yeah. I remember I said to myself, That's there's exactly a few right. officers that could get inaugurated. They go, we'll get Mike Pompeo in place. CIA is extremely important. And they delayed it. They did. And I they go, what's did. going on here? Uh, a couple of senators got to burn their saddle, didn't like something. Uh, and America, you know, when, when we don't get these simple things done, uh, America is more at risk. Very on petty. a much side note, I think for both parties, there's got to be a quicker way to confirmation. You wait two years to get your team in place. That doesn't help our country. There's got to be a quicker way. We, we have to solve this problem. And by the way, this is a bipartisan issue. Republicans do it to Democrats sometimes, too. I became the secretary of state. Uh, Brian, about 18 months into President Trump's term, when I showed up, we had about 10 percent of our ambassadors and senior leaders in the field. We were working with the previous president's team. That's not what the American people voted for. For 18 months, we had the other guys still in power. Um, it's amazing what's happened. Let's start with foreign policy if we can. It's amazing what's happened since you guys left, and that is the president of the United States made a, one key error. During when you, Sometimes you campaign, you say some things. But when he took over, he said Saudi Arabia was going to be the pariah of uh, the Middle East. They're, pari- they're a pariah nation. They'll never be accepted again. And I thought to myself, that's more re- reaffirmation that he's going to go back to this terrible Iranian deal. Because you can't be, Brent, you can't, if you're going to say goodbye to Saudi Arabia, you better say hello to Iran. And who wants to say hello to Iran? Now he realizes, I need Saudi Arabia, goes back, the fist bump, gets us the middle finger. And now we're paying $90 a barrel for oil. Doesn't mean they're perfect, but you got to think down the line, don't you? You got to put America first. Whatever one thinks, you got to put America first. In the end, 
uh, when when everything breaks loose, the Saudis will be with us, and the Iranians will try to kill us. This is fundamental. This is Middle East 101. By the way, FDR said that. Yeah, it's it's there's a long history. Um, whatever one thinks, they have been an important security partner. When the president says they're a pariah, we, we, we built these relationships. We we understood. President Trump and I understood. You've got to build these relationships out. It doesn't mean your partners are all going to be right. uh, the people you'd want to have running your Boy Scout troop. Uh, but these are folks who deliver the things that America needs. And when you call them a pariah and then you do this fist bump and you think that's going to fix it, you, you can see what happens. And you tell me, you were the CIA guy, but that whole Wahhabism, they started cracking down on that. They started realizing as bad as the Khashoggi murder was and nobody soft peddling it, women able to drive. We think that's a joke. Not really in the Arab world, having uh, in the Muslim world, having women drive begin to assert themselves in different ways. Never do I want to relocate to Saudi Arabia, but I'm saying that there was some changes afoot. The fact that Israel can deal with Saudi Arabia now indirectly, directly, these deals started getting done with Bahrain and with uh, and Jordan's always been there. And the eight deals you had or the six deals you had with uh, uh, with the Abraham Accords, things started getting done in the area. And if Israel can make peace with these countries, how are we thousands of miles away going to be dug in uh, for whatever reason? Brian, well said. By the way, the Abraham Accords is a story that hasn't been told enough. None of the Abraham Accords happened without the crown prince in Saudi Arabia. They didn't ultimately sign up, uh, but green-lighted every bit of that. We're very supportive of this reshaping of the Middle East. The Abraham Accords don't happen with the crushing of Qasem, at the cross, crushing of Qasem Soleimani either. Right? These were demonstrable things that the United States did to protect our own people, to protect Israel. And when we did that, our friends in the region, those who are prepared to be alongside of us, became partners. And also, if you go back into the Iranian deal, that's when the Saudis say, I'm done with you, because they looked at Iran as the main problem and uh, and terroristic nation in the area, in the region. And when you go back in, you said, you're saying to us, go to hell. A hundred percent. You're also saying to them, you're going to give them hundreds of billions of dollars to build out a nuclear weapon. And anybody who doesn't think that if the Iranians get a nuclear program, that the Emiratis, the Saudis, others won't want nuclear weapons programs too, this is really bad for Americans. And so uh, very dangerous. The Biden administration uh, came in 180 degrees and said, if Trump and Pompeo did it, we're going to undo it. They went back to this uh, crappy posture. 185 people are dead now in a series of protests led by the crackdown on the morals code uh, in uh, Iran right now. Now, the Biden administration, to their credit, comes out and says, Obama administration got it wrong. They said, if we don't say anything, we don't become the enemy. So let them fight it out. But what they really wanted to do is preserve the Iranian deal. Right. So having said that, what is the right way for the U.S.? What's the right posture for the U.S. now? Correct posture is to do your best to support the Iranian people in every way you can. And in eighteen nineteen, when there were protests, that's what we did. President Trump put out statements. Um, I put out statements as a secretary of state just – giving them the moral support, and then second, you got to deny the regime resources. You, you can't give them fuel. The, the Iranian economy this year, Brian, will grow faster than the American economy because we're not enforcing sanctions today. That, that is a catastrophe. If you're, if you're in New Mexico or Alabama or Iowa, this is bad for you because you will end up with the bad guys having more money, more terror, uh, more risk to our friends in Israel. Just a, it's, it's a policy that is the inverse of what reduces the risk that our kids will ever have to go fight and die in that Middle Eastern soil again. But also our enemies are solidifying their relationship between Iran, China, and sure. Russia, correct? They're hedging because they don't know where America's going to be. And so if you're if you're the Kuwaitis or the Omanis or the Emiratis and you see America walking away or partnering with the 
uh, Shia Islamist regime in Iran, you're going to snuggle up to the Chinese or the Russians because you can't count on America. So when you see what's happening in uh, Ukraine right now, we're seeing that the, even the CIA, our intelligence experts, seem to have gotten it wrong. We overestimated Russia's ability to fight and how strong their army was and how modern their equipment is. How do you explain how we seem to have gotten it wrong? It, it's hard to know how we got it so wrong. It, it's the case that we, we got it wrong. Uh, one of the things that we probably didn't get wrong that people do underestimate is uh, political will matters. So think about the Afghan army, right? Ghani flees and the Afghan army folds. Uh, the Ukrainian army comes under attack. Zelensky says, nope, don't, don't, don't send me out of the country. Send me weapons. And the cohesion, the political military cohesion can remain. Russia didn't have that either. They weren't fighting for something that those soldiers cared about in the same way that the Ukrainians are. Never underestimate that intangible. Forget how many tanks you have. Forget how much artillery you have. The willingness of people to actually engage and fight for their brothers and sisters and for their sovereign homeland is something we should never underestimate. How do you characterize the Ukrainians, the Ukrainians that you knew? Uh, it was a mixed bag. Tons of corruption inside of Ukraine, money flowing all over the place, bribery, uh, bad actors with real power. But the Ukrainian people were trying to drive to a, to a, a place that was different from what they had when they were part of the Soviet empire. Uh, they wanted to come to a better place, a, a more freedom-loving, a more prosperous, a more rules-based place. They were just struggling to get there. Is the one of the reasons that NATO, the NATO process was never done or nationally even voted on, even though George W. Bush wanted it, was because of the corruption? It was because you knew how the Russians viewed Ukraine and that might ignite this type of battle. It was mostly because the French and Germans didn't want to do it. <laughs> the French and the Germans have an outsized capacity to influence both EU accession entering the EU and uh, NATO as well. Uh, they, they, they weren't ready. They weren't NATO ready either from a military perspective to deliver. We were working to train them. I spent time when I was a CIA director, and I, I write about this in the book. I spent time as CIA director down in the southeast parts and adjacent to uh, Luhansk and Donetsk. We were training Ukrainian special forces operators. I think that's made a difference in this fight as well. Uh, one of the things we can see is when you're in the mushy middle, it's bad. There's real risk. We'd agreed in 1994, it was called the Budapest Memorandum. We'd agreed that if the Ukrainians gave up their nuclear weapons program, that we would ensure that their sovereignty was never violated. We, uh, we have a real commitment to provide them the tools they need. And deterrence against Vladimir Putin can work. You just can't be weak as the Biden administration has been. So one thing we did find out, the training worked because they want to fight and they're tough as nails. And they do have some tactics. They are adjusting with the military we're giving them and the hardware we're giving them. They're actually adjusting for the battlefield, putting things that belong on launchers, on the back of pickup trucks. <laughs> so HIMARS was something that you guys thought and, were, and you went to West Point. So you studied all this stuff in war colleges. But they said the HIMARS was something, hey, if we ever have to go to war with Soviet Union or Russians, this would probably be pretty effective. And now you're at now the Ukrainians are at war. They're more than effective, and and now there's other missile systems that uh, it starts with an A. I forgot the name of it, but they go 190 miles. The Ukrainians say, "Please give us that," and the Joe Biden personally says, "No." They're a 1980s version weapon. What do you think the significance of saying no is? Uh, it tells Vladimir Putin that we are not serious about ensuring that the Ukrainians have the capacity to actually defeat his army in the field. And the Ukrainian army clearly sees, too, that this means the fight's going to be harder. What my, my, my core critique uh, of President Biden's failure to maintain deterrence is that he, he continued to harbor this fear that you were going to provoke Vladimir Putin, who had already been provoked. 
And so they have been slow and late. When they finally got these uh, medium-range weapon systems, the HIMARS, they provided them four of them. There should have been 40, uh, slow and late and short. And that has continued to drive this war and put us on the precipice of Vladimir Putin now feeling like he may have to do something that's even more serious than what he did already, which is to blow up his own pipeline. So having never held your position, please tell me where I'm wrong, and I will not take it personal. But why are we not leaning on India publicly to start laying off the purchase of oil. Why are we not going forward with saying, Germany, you're giving a tenth of what you promised? Why are we not saying to France, even behind behind the scenes or in front, stop reaching out to Vladimir Putin. It shows that we're fracturing. Brian, we have not been serious on these sanctions issues. They've they've been half measures, just like the weapon systems have been half measures, and so the sanctions have too. You still have Russian banks that have access to the financial capital markets, and so you can have a bad winter in Europe while Moscow still got all the energy that it needs. That is completely backward. It's because the Biden administration hasn't been prepared to lean on whomever, uh, France, uh, India. You mentioned Germany, and saying you have to be serious about this. And if we had been serious. It's been almost a year since we've known this invasion was going to take place. September of last year, maybe October, November, we've known. We've been slow and late. So when people say that, well, President Trump was so uh, anti-Ukraine, he was so bitter about the way they might have been working with President uh, Biden's son, Hunter, that he probably wouldn't even have done this much. What do you say? Well, hard to know. I get asked all the time, what would you have done? It's hard to know. Well, not if you were president, but but, you were— but, 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 But what President Trump would have chosen to do? But uh, this much I do know for sure. Uh, President Obama and Vice President Biden gave the Ukrainians zero weapon systems. President Trump and our administration gave the Ukrainians weapon systems during our time in office, and we trained those soldiers on my watch, on my time. Uh, I think when we got to this point, President Trump would have been convinced that the right thing to do was to support the Ukrainian people. And he might not have to do it at all if President Obama had given more than blankets and MREs. And if he just – would they just kind of – they blitzed in there with, with missile defense systems and arms, there probably wouldn't have been – would have stopped at Crimea. Seven years ago. Everyone, Brian, that's a very good point. People talk about this war having started in uh, February of this year. The truth is it began in 14, right? It began in 14 when a fifth of Ukraine – a fifth, 20 percent of Ukraine was taken on President right. Obama's watch. Putin didn't do that on my watch. So I, I – and we got to go to break. I want to come back. But uh, – Mr. Secretary, I see a definite pattern. You take Georgia, you stay, nothing happens. You take Crimea, you stay, nothing happens. You go into Syria, you change the direction of Assad's tenure, keeps him in power, nothing happens. And then he says, okay, I'm going to go invade Ukraine. Maybe he's believing his own headlines. Then something happens. If he takes Ukraine... Down goes the Baltics through infiltrate into their elections, gradually get people there that they can control. And then Poland become forced to take a deal because they feel they're not going to be back. I see the ripple effect 10, 15 years. Am I living in World War II? Uh, you're, you're living in reality. That, that is a factually accurate statement. Putin has made very clear his intention to restore, call it whatever you want, greater Russia, the Russian Empire. But a lot of Republicans don't agree with what I just said. Yeah, you, I, I agree with you 100 percent. By the way, if he laid down his arms today, if Putin said cease fire today while we're on this show, uh, it's temporary. His objective isn't going to change. Um, we have to we have to be ever vigilant. His objective is not just right. Ukraine. It is greater Europe and uh, the only way to stop him is with massive power. Uh, the book that is coming out now that can be available for pre-order is called Never Give an Inch. More with more uh, former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo in just a moment. 
Newsmakers and Newsbreakers. Hear it first on The Brian Kilmeade Show. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Uh, we're here with the former Secretary of State and CIA Director uh, Mike Pompeo. is excited. His book is finally done. It's like a burden lifts off your shoulders. The ultimate paper. Uh, never give an inch. Uh, fighting for the America I love. So, Ms. Secretary, you tell me one thing that really saddens you. As we look back in history, we were talking about different history books. Modern presidencies are not going to have the paper trail that other ones had. Yeah. Right? I mean, how did you put this together, being that you're so concerned about intelligence and leaks and uh, and so, subpoenas? It's so true, Brian. No, I always figure that someday the FBI is coming to my house still, right? Uh, we always – Well, they came to everybody else's we, house. We've got FOIA. We've got all this stuff. And so we, I wrote down a lot less than my predecessors did. Uh, and so, yeah, it was a labor of love. It was a lot of work to put this together. did it my best from memory and uh, – I think I think people will like it. You can go to mikepompeo.com and pre-order it. Uh, it's it's got some great stories, uh, and importantly, we had this vision of putting America first. President Trump campaigned on this, and every time we thought about something, we're like, "How will this play for us back home? How will it matter to someone sitting in uh, Nevada or Alabama or someplace or Kansas, my home state?" Uh, and uh, and I think we deliver that, and you can see the difference today. I'll give you Biden. I'll give you a football analogy. I remember when Tom Landry came in and he started bringing back the shotgun. Everyone's like, no, you don't want to do it. You want to be under center. <laughs> and they changed things. The, the run and shoot, they went back to a run and shoot offense, yeah. a no huddle offense. They changed things because someone came in with a brand new idea, broke the mold. In many ways, Trump broke the mold. Some people think for the worse. Where did, was it for the better? Oh, goodness, it was for the better so many places. And even you as a West Point traditional guy. Yeah, no, it was better. It was better in so many places. It was better in the Middle East, right? The idea that we just upended the, this crazy nuclear deal that President Obama had put together. Paris Climate. Uh, parent, Paris Climate Accords. Uh, the decision the president made uh, with respect to how we were going to approach Chairman Kim. Uh, we increased the probability we'd be successful there. We ultimately didn't get his nuclear weapons out of his hands, but we didn't have all these missile. I think it was seven missile tests Forget in the last 12 days. Uh so we, we made some progress there. There were uh, the, the movement of the embassy to uh, Jerusalem. These were things that uh, the, the strike against Qasem Soleimani, no other president uh, would have had a secretary state walk in, make that recommendation, said, yeah, go, go do it. Having said that, with the Congress, West Point background, now CIA and secretary of state and prime of your life now and fighting weight, uh, <laughs> when will you decide if you're going to run? And would you have trouble running against a guy you work for who you say nice things about and he says nice things about you? Oh goodness! If you if you decide to run, if I decide to run, you go campaign because you think you've got the to make the right case. But you guys got to insult people. each other. Uh, How's that going to go? He, he may he may insult me. I don't know. I, it's not my style. Um, I'll talk about. I'll, I'll make the case for why America ought to support uh, the vision that and I have for positive. the country. I, I, this is you know, the subtitle to "Never Give an Inch" is fighting for an America I love. Fighting for the America I love. Uh, this country matters. I've been at this for decades now, Brian, and I'm prepared to continue to stay in the fight. I don't know if I'll end up running or not, but if I do, it'll be about my vision for what our grandkids ought to be looking for. Mike Pompeo, thanks so much. Thank you, Brian. Great to have the quality time. Back in a moment. From the Fox News radio studios in Midtown Manhattan, it's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. 
Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. I appreciate you being here on this Columbus Day, especially if your schedule got broken up and now you're listening to the radio for the first time, kind of driving in your car, you have the day off, so I appreciate it. Keep in mind, you can always get the podcast. If you ever miss it, you can't hear it live, BrianKilmeadeShow.com. Even for our dedicated listeners, it's always good to know you can get the podcast. Uh, Wilford Riley is going to be with us shortly. He's got a very successful podcast, as is Brett Baer. Uh, and uh, the professor of political science at Kentucky State will be with us shortly. Uh, we have a lot to discuss there. But let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. When you hear President talking about Armageddon at a random, as a random thought, just musing at a fundraiser, that is a, a terrible risk to the American people if he truly believes that he ought to be out talking to us in a serious way. Yeah, I would think that would be nice. Uh, yes, a bridge blown, a capital attacked, and as usual, the Russians target civilians while President Biden managed to do the impossible. Ratchet up the tensions even higher between Ukraine and Russia. Number two. Headline inflation will probably come down to about 8%, but core inflation, what measures the drivers of inflation and how broad they are, is still going up. So we still have an inflation issue. Uh, yes, uh, Mohamed El Arian, a big week for the economy. As recession looms, core inflation projected to grow, and the Dems, as a party in power, take the blame or the acclaim. But I think it's mostly blame now. Number one. One of our early polls was if you had to choose between someone you didn't like personally who would oppose Biden and someone you did like personally who would support Biden, which one would you pick? And 58 percent of the people in Georgia would rather have somebody they don't like personally who opposed Biden. Yeah, that's Trafalgar's uh, chief strategist. 29 days to Election Day. We're going to look at where the House, Senate and governorship stand as we break it all down. With me right now, one of my favorite all-time guests, Professor Wilfred Riley. Uh, Professor, welcome back. Yeah, glad to be back. Among his books, Taboo, Ten Facts You Can't Talk About, uh, and Hate Crime Hoax. Uh, Professor, I was just uh, struck by a bunch of things. Number one, in Georgia, uh, why is it, from you can tell, uh, aside from this latest controversy with Herschel Walker, that controversy aside, why is it that he's only getting 9 to 11% of the black vote, knowing that he came from extremely uh, humble uh, um, upbringing, including a mostly African-American area where he basically was just on the cusp at the end of a segregated South. Why don't you think he's resonating with the black vote there so far? Uh, because he's a Republican. I That's mean, it? that that really is that really is the answer. I mean, if you look at everything else going on with Herschel Walker and yeah, leaving his personal disputes with his son aside, um, I mean, he's a UGA football star. He's a popular businessman in Georgia. I don't think anyone doubts, although he gets along very well with the white community as well, that he's a fairly confident black man. The short issue is, I mean, the average Republican in Georgia seems to be polling at about 7 8% of the black vote. So Walker's doing better than that by about 50%. It, It really is that simple. There's a big disconnect right now. Between black people, including black business community and and the GOP, and both sides are going to have to try to bridge that. But Walker is he's suffering from that. Professor, you realize more than almost anybody that Democrats were the one who wanted the segregated South. They're the ones who gave us Jim Crow. How did things do with jujitsu? That's a really fascinating question. I mean, one of the things that helps with this is that if a point is being made by the left, it's going to get a really large amount of support because the media and academia in the USA literally leans, you know, again, with the numbers, about 90 percent to the left. So the standard story, and I talk about this in my upcoming next book, actually, whether or not this is true, 
But the standard story is that the two parties kind of switched positions yeah. on race in the mid-1960s. The, the reality, though, is that what you said is, is simply correct. I mean, prior to that, the Republicans were the explicitly pro-slavery, pro-segregation party in much of the country, or the Democrats were the explicitly pro-segregation, pro-slavery party in much of the country. I mean, the Dixiecrats were an offshoot of the Democratic Party, so on down the line. So there's definitely a lot that's gone into making, again, normal, successful black people think that they would they would never vote GOP. And a, a lot of that is based on kind of information that's just not real. I mean, we, we talked about this once, but there was a there's a well done study done about a year ago that asked black people and white liberals how many unarmed black men they think are killed annually by the police. And the average answer was between 1,000 and 10,000. So if you consume, and the actual number, of course, is like 10 to 20. So if you consume a lot of mainstream media, you really feel the USA is a lot more racist than it is, and you tend to put a lot of the blame for that on sort of the conservative, traditional side in our debate. Uh, that's, that's not really fair, but it is definitely affecting Walker. Yeah, very interesting. Just on Walker, I want to play Yumichi Alcindor, as left as it gets on Meet the Press, about Herschel Walker. As much as he's having trouble getting the black vote, a lot of vote is not moving. Cut nine. Well, certainly a lot of people in Georgia are talking about it, but people, based on my reporting, are already in their camps. If you're someone who didn't like Herschel Walker, like Lisa Gordon, this African-American woman, told me she had never even considered Herschel Walker because he was facing a host of uh, of domestic abuse claims. She didn't think that he had the character to serve in the U.S. Senate. But I didn't meet one Republican voter who was changing their mind. And that means everyone that I talked to said, I don't like this. Maybe it's made up. Maybe he's telling the truth. Either way, it's not changing my vote. And I'm thinking about this one voter. Her name is... Linda Oviat. She's an elderly white woman. She told me 100% I believe these allegations. I think Herschel Walker is lying right now. She told me I'm still voting for him. Mm. People make mistakes. He's now someone who is an opponent of abortion rights. And as a result, I'm going to continue to stick with him. And the other thing is the person he's running against. No one's talking about Reverend Warnock. He's got an ex-wife that says he doesn't pay child support. They tried to run over him. He's a great actor. Uh, that he's involved with some dicey situations where he covered up the allegations, uh, allegations of child abuse uh, uh, for other people that almost got him in jail. So, I mean, the problem is who he's running against, too. Yeah, well, I, I think there are two things there that are both becoming patterns in American politics. One is that people think both candidates are morally bad. And two, voters are behaving transactionally. So just just doing those in order. One, you're absolutely right that for all of his kind of down-home preacher act, I mean, Raphael Warnock is a, is a current senator. He's a guy who's been involved in, you know, some financial transactional questions. He's also a guy who allegedly, allegedly ran over his wife with a car. Like, that, that was the domestic allegation against him. I'm not going to, you know, juicily exploit that any more than Walker's. But a lot of people looking at this guy are saying, you know, I read the papers. I don't think the other candidate is significantly morally better. The yeah. second thing, though, I think is more important, which is just just kind of transactional voting. So, like, I mean, I think it's bad that Walker allegedly paid for an abortion, given how pro-life his position is, so on. But the question is, do you then vote for the guy who's openly pro-choice through nine months? And I, I don't see anyone making that move for moral reasons. That's exactly why nothing much has moved, and even uh, left-wing journalists like uh, Yamichi Alcindor have to agree with that. So Kanye West over the weekend made some anti-Semitic statements. We'll deal with that later. What I thought was also significant is something you might, 
I'm not, I don't know for sure, deal with. And that is the people that don't hate Donald Trump and might even have voted for him who happen to be uh, black. Kanye West on that. My so-called friends slash handlers around me told me, like, if I said that I like Trump, that my career would be over, that my life would be over. Uh, they said stuff like people get killed for wearing a hat like that. They threatened my life. They put my life. They basically said that I would be killed uh, for uh, wearing the hat. I had a, a, someone call me last night and said anybody wearing a White Lives Matter shirt is going to be greenlit, and that means that they're going to beat them up if they wear it. And I'm like, you know, okay, green light me then. So he made up White Lives Matter shirts, him and Candace Owens. Uh, but also he said that he, he was told by his wife and others, you, you're going to destroy your career if you wear that hat. Yeah. So, I mean, again, there, there's a lot here. First, I mean, I, I do think this exposes what I've heard people call the silent 90%. That there's at least as much racial and political hostility and violence on that kind of Antifa left as there is anywhere on the right. I mean, if you just scroll onto black Twitter or black Instagram, the reactions to something like a high school fight along racial lines, something very typical, are much more intense than you'll see anywhere on the right outside of the quote-unquote alt-right, a site like V-Dare or something. So that is, that's something that's being exposed with this Kanye West situation. Um for me, one of the things that made the mainstream political left jump the shark was the idea that phrases like all lives matter are wildly controversial. And this is something that we were people tried to convince us of for years, that it's hurtful to people of color just to wear that on a shirt, so on. And that, that to me, it seems kind of nonsensical. So I mean, when they asked Kanye why he rocked a white lives matter shirt, I mean, he has a black lives matter shirt as well. He said, well, because they do. I mean, something like police violence yeah. or interracial crime, that, that's wildly diverse. So, yeah, the reaction to that's been, been a little disgusting. The flip side of this, though, it is important to say is that the day after the right started embracing him and saying correctly, you know, Kanye had a hyper-intelligent interview, Kanye West, yeah, as you said, started ranting about the Jews and so on. So that there's an element of kind of live by the celebrity, die by the celebrity. I think on the right, because most celebrities are on the left, there, there tends to be some excitement when a hip-hop guy or a yeah. country guy steps forward and says, yeah, I might vote GOP. But remember then, you're, you're dealing with the, whatever their number of marriages is and so on going forward. So you might want to take a break before putting that guy up, up on the banner, asking him to speak at events and so on. But yeah, the, the White Lives Matter thing, not, not a big deal at all, really. Yeah, I'm, I'm just very curious to see where it goes. I just see the Hispanic vote tacking to the right gradually, and it seems there's a logic behind it. Do you think that that could you ever see the black vote doing the same? And not that you again, not that you speak for black America, but you just, just study this stuff more than most. Yeah, no, I, I definitely can. I mean, I think one of when I mentioned the alt right and then the hard left, I think one of the mistakes both extremes have made is the assumption that, quote-unquote, minorities are some kind of indistinguishable mass that can never blend and dance with and date white people. So, I mean, on the left, you call it Great Replacement or whatever, but there's very definitely been the idea that by, what is it, 2044, the USA is going to be a majority-minority country, and they're going to be in power forever. What you actually see, and I think the right panics about this way more than they should as well, what you actually see is like the largest immigrant group into the USA is Caucasian Hispanics of, of Catholic tradition. 
The second is Asian immigrants who outperform everyone. Yes. Uh, black immigrants from Nigeria and so on are some of the most successful people in the country. So when you actually look at how these people vote, when you break Nigerians out of blacks or you look at Asians and Arabs before 9-11, I mean, you, you very often see 47 percent for the GOP. And that, that's why people still, quote unquote, have an accent. I don't think fourth generation Asian kids or something like that are going to be a committed Democratic voting bloc at all especially as you start seeing affirmative action in the courts and so on. And the, the same thing is true for Hispanics. One, one thing also, the, the quote-unquote racial reckoning irritated almost every Hispanic person I know because it seemed like black guys and white guys fighting, sort of, about whether there's oppression in the modern USA, about whether we owe reparations, this kind of stuff. And some guy who came here penniless from Oaxaca and now owns a construction business really doesn't have any sympathy there. Like, no horse in the race, but certainly not necessarily backing the, the quote-unquote minority side there. So, yeah, you've seen the Hispanic vote shift very far right. I think the Republicans now are 1% or 2% behind with Hispanics. So those aren't, those aren't unchangeable voting blocks. Right. The other thing is, I know people behind the scenes when you put together a campaign, if I was to have Professor Riley run for office, I'd have to break it down to different sections and where to campaign and where you, I understand. Besides that, we should stop talking so much about race and ethnicity. I never even, I've been doing this 25 years uh, on Fox in particular. In the beginning, we weren't really talking black and white that much. We were just talking about Americans more. And we were just talking about different issues. Now everything's, oh, the black community, he's black, he's white, he votes for this person, he votes for that person. There's a black candidate that used to be, oh, he's got a military background or she's got a military background. Now all of a sudden it's or black, white, and, and I just think we're becoming super hyper, we hyperventilate about all ethnicities and that whole melting pot thing never even comes up anymore. But over the weekend, Tommy Tuberville was campaigning with President Trump. Here's what he said that's causing some controversy. The Democratic Party, they have a majority. They could stop this crime today. They, some people say, well, they're soft on crime. No, they're not soft on crime. They're pro-crime. They want crime. They want crime because they want to take over what you got. They want to control what you have. They want reparation because they think the people that do the crime are owed that. Bull****. They are not owed that. What's your take on, oh, he's getting a lot of, the senator's getting a lot of criticism for reparations in that statement? Well, I, I think that's the kind of thing people say at political events. Like, I mean, if I were, if I were analyzing that seriously, I'd point out that 65% of criminals aren't black and so on. So there, actually, there's a deep point there, which is that the laws that are designed to, to some extent, help black criminals, like bail reform, are an unjustified blessing for that 70% of white and Spanish criminals. I will say that as a sideline. I mean, so if you think that you're helping an oppressed group in the country by, you know, lessening the penalties on crime, you're also helping every criminal from every other group, and you're hurting all of the victims that themselves are, are black or African-American. But in terms of his main point, I, I don't find his statement wildly offensive. You hear stuff like that at every rally. But I, I do think in terms of his main point, I don't believe that good – an important point is that good-faith liberals actually believe the crap they're saying. <laughs> so, I mean, it, it's – the, the idea, I think, is something like – and these ideas are hard to understand once you're outside the academy. I mean, they, they seem kind of nonsensical. But the idea is that crime is caused by deeper factors like a lack of trust in the criminal justice system, which is seen as racist, or maybe just poverty or something like that. So if you, if you end police violence and at the same time you support 
things like social work programs and yeah. midnight basketball and so on down the line, crime will go down. There's no evidence of that. I think what makes crime go down is, you know, bad boy cops throwing criminals in jail. Dr. Uh, uh, Professor Wilford Riley, thanks so much. It was great. Thanks a lot. Have a good one. You got it. Uh, come back with your calls. Brian Kilme, bottom of the hour, Brett Bear. Don't move. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. But in the end, this is going to be about policy positions. Sarah Warnock is one of those liberal people in the Senate. He wants abortion on demand until birth. Only one in five voters but, support that. The There's also allegations against Senator... Well, let me get a word in here, too, on this. Senator Warnock has his own allegations. What about spousal abuse? There are allegations out there, too. So I hope the media does just as much attention on these allegations of Senator Warnock and what his wife, his ex-wife, said he was, she was being abused by him. So I hope, it's, I hope you're showing some equal opportunity here well, and, uh, with both these candidates. And, and, and that was uh, Don Bacon, the congressman from a Republican from Nebraska, on Meet the Press yesterday because they wanted him on because he's been a critic of President Trump and is a conservative, and they thought they'd get him to open up on Herschel Walker. Because, listen, I don't know what's going on, but if you did make a mistake, apologize. But for the most part, that's all you fixated on. You ever bring up the Reverend Warnock? And they kept saying, I give Warnock a lot of credit for not jumping on everybody else who's jumping on Walker. Well, all the press is jumping on Walker, number one. And number two is, have you seen what he's got to worry about? I mean, you have a woman on camera who's his his wife saying he's a great actor that she fears for him, for her safety, and she can't get any child support from the guy. That's why he's not jumping on uh, Herschel Walker. Really. When we come back, Brett Baer will break down our election coverage, what's going on between the numbers. And is it true, Republicans only have a 30% chance to win back the Senate? Not in my book. Radio that makes you think. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Crime is a big issue, and we talk a lot about inflation, we talk a lot about abortion. Most Republican candidates are running on crime, and particularly uh, in Wisconsin, it is working to devastating effect on Mandela Barnes. Uh, Republicans, uh, Ron Johnson uh, is someone who should be very vulnerable, but he, he has, has been, been hitting th- this crime issue, and it, in some places, it's just going to work better than others. And in Wisconsin, it is working. I asked somebody, a, a plugged-in political operative in Wisconsin, why is it working so, so well there? He said one word, Kenosha. Uh, and that is true, and that's why big and small towns, crime is, is resonating. I don't know really a list that doesn't have crime two or three. Brett Baer joins us now, chief political anchor of Fox News. He's been a uh, special report guy. You know that. Uh, you're going to see him at 6 o'clock tonight. But, Brett, you've been drilling down on this. Crime is emerging each and every week a little bit more prominently. Don't you agree? Yeah, it is a big issue. It's uh, evidenced by how many candidates are using it in their ads. Uh, and Wisconsin is having an amazing effect as far as its, its ability to to take down Mandela Barnes, who was leading over Ron Johnson. Uh, now Mandela Barnes' own words in past videos are just surfacing every day. Republicans are putting them out there, and he just can't walk away from them. Uh, whether it's defund police or you know relook at uh, the social fabric or let people out of jail. It's, it's just not a message that sells in a place where crime 
is a concern, and Kenosha brings up, you know, memories of of those um, riots. So it was interesting. CNN of all places reported that uh, he backed abolishing ICE. Uh, he want he's backed reducing police budgets and defunding law enforcement. He said this is various times. So now he's trying to back off and work around the edges. Two years ago, that might have worked. Now it doesn't. Then yesterday, we hear about a shooting down the block from Lee Zeldin's house. His two 16-year-olds run to the bathroom, call 911. The other one calls uh, their dad, who's running for governor. And he's on the Bronx at a Columbus Day parade. And then he goes out on the urging of everyone. The press was outside. They wanted to talk to him. And listen to this exchange, cut 13. Some would say that maybe... um when your family has just been through this, it might not be a good time to talk politics. What would you say to critics who might say that? You're talking about politics. I, I didn't. I'm surprised that you, you or someone else might even look at it that way. I mean, at, at what point are we supposed to talk about the crime on our own streets? I'm standing in front of crime scene tape in front of my own house. You can't get me more outraged than right now. I mean, is that an unbelievable question? <laughs> they go, instead of doing one-on-one interviews, we used to go out and dress the press. And that's the first question. Why are you dressing the press? I know. It's, uh, it's amazing. I mean, listen, these things are happening more and more. And it is a real issue in a lot of cities. And it's not just big cities. It's uh, suburbs. It's, um, there, there is a, a problem and, you know, whether you diagnose the problem that it's district attorneys that are putting people out, churning them out. I mean, former New York City mayor, uh, David Dinkins, um, or no, uh, Patterson. it was um, Patterson. Patterson, Doug Patterson, uh, said he's never seen it like that. And, you know, that's a Democrat calling out Democrats, saying you can't have somebody put somebody out 20, 30, 40 times and they're committing the same crimes. Here he is, Cut 18, Dave Patterson, former New York governor, Cut 18. For the first time in my life, even in the late 80s and 90s, when the crime rate was killing 2,000 people uh, a year, I never felt as unsafe as I do now just walking around. And God forbid, uh, sometimes we take the subway home from uh, WABC and uh, you're hearing about an assault on the subway almost every other day. So this is somebody with a little bit of a perspective and a Democrat, and he can't believe what's going on right now. And now we have this sub this sub story of illegal immigrants to the tune of 13,500 in New York City now walking around hotel rooms that put up for free saying, we have no money in clothes. Can you help me? So they're begging other hotel uh, uh, hotel members. Can we can you give me clothes? And now they're building a tent city at Randall's Island. So there's a this is not going this is a combustible mix. It's very combustible. And um you know it's interesting to see how governor Hochul is dealing with this or not dealing with it and not at all maybe, by the way. She's not. Maybe some of those polls that have Zeldin closing are real. A lot of Democrats look at that and say it's New York, it's not going to happen. Um but you know those issues are real for people that have to live day to day. Uh, no doubt about it. And one other thing is real is what's happening. Yeah, Georgia, Arizona, Nevada, perhaps New Hampshire, Pennsylvania. They could go either way, depending on the day, uh, who's closing, what issues are hot and how what's going on with the candidate. No doubt about it. Uh, Herschel Walker had an explosive week last week. 
Uh, do you think, in, in for the most part, he survives this? Because listen to what Terry Moran of ABC said he found on the ground, cut 11. Not as great an impact, obviously, as it would have had 10 years ago. There is a sense now that as long as the guy's on your team, that the most important issue in American politics isn't what you believe in, it's who do you hate. Uh, and while Walker's not a hater, parties are now that antagonistic that it's clear millions of Republican voters will overlook something that would have destroyed a candidacy just a few years ago. What do you think? How does this resonate if the story doesn't move again? I, I think Moran is largely correct, probably overselling it a bit about that doesn't hey. make any difference. You know, I think that that it does make some difference. And I think last week hurt Herschel Walker. But in the big picture, it was last week. We have four weeks to go, and they're going to sell it as this could be the linchpin to control of the Senate and to balance out what they see as progressive policies from the Biden administration. So that's a real big selling point in Georgia. And um, I, I think there's some element that's right, but I do think last week took a toll on Walker. Yeah, when he came out, that they, he's been accused of paying for somebody's abortion, and then um, the, he has another kid with the same woman, and says he wanted me to abort the second one too, and then he has his son erupt, uh, but he still denies that he paid for anybody's abortion. Let's talk about the other major issue, number one, the economy. Mohammed El Arian, he's been our guest with you, chief economic advisor for Allianz. He says the Fed has not helped, and this guy, and this administration has not helped us uh, get inflation down and our economy turned around. Here's why. Cut 25. So it's made two big mistakes that I think are going to go down in the history books. One is mischaracterizing inflation as transitory. By that, they meant it is temporary. It's reversible. Don't worry about it. That was mistake number one. And then mistake number two, when they finally recognized that inflation was persistent and high, they didn't act. They didn't act in a meaningful way. And as a result, we risk mistake number three, which is by not easing their foot off the accelerator last year, they are slamming on the brakes this year, which would tip us into recession. So, yes, unfortunately, this will go down as a big policy error by the Federal Reserve. And the Federal Reserve has come out and says, yeah, I predict pain instead of a soft landing. So these are some comparisons by somebody not really a politician. He's a numbers guy. Yeah. And I think that that's right. But remember that the Biden administration and monetary policy has something, you know, opposite of fiscal policy. And as this is happening, the Biden administration is saying it's transitory. Don't worry about yep. it right now. It's going to wake away. Then the next thing they do is they find out that inflation is sticking around. But what do they do? They pass massive spending on Capitol Hill. Not just once. They do it then with student loans and add to the exacerbating problem. But according to most experts, the more money you're funneling in, the more problem the potential is for inflation to stick around or even go up. Um, so then the Fed comes in and says, we got to slow this down. It's burning too hot. And that's right. They may slam on the brakes so much that we really hurt as a country for a while. So big picture question, because you go out, you have a social life, unlike people who do morning shows. Uh, I want to see if you can subscribe to what Bill Maher said over the weekend. Cut 24. 
This is what is wrong with this country. Our real division isn't between red and blue. It's between the people on both sides who aren't willing to mingle with Americans outside their political tribe and so have no idea what they're really like. And the people on both sides who are willing to do that. Of course, Mark Fincham never met a Biden voter and probably thinks Democrats eat babies because every because everybody he knows voted for Trump because he never leaves his hermetically sealed right wing panic room. (laughs) And I could say the same of many liberals who would never even talk to a Trump voter. I asked a friend of mine recently if he wanted to come to a little party I was having. And when he found out one of the guests had voted for Trump, he told me he wasn't coming because, quote, I wouldn't breathe the same air. Okay, there's a word for people like this. So I was having an expletive. What about you? I mean, you hang out in Washington for a long time now. You weren't born there. Do you notice a change over the years you've been there? I will tell you, Brian, that behind the scenes, Washington is a lot different than public Washington. Yes, it's far more divisive. It's far more partisan. But there is um, a an effort to at least listen to the other side, and there are a number of moderates in in Congress who really try to reach out uh, on both sides of the aisle. Now, I agree that there are pockets where they don't listen at all to each other and almost despise just seeing each other at some event. And that's really bizarre to, to, if you think about it. I mean, we as a country could do well to just listen first and then make, you know, and then argue about what we disagree about, but agree with what we agree on. I mean, if they went by that goal on Capitol Hill, we could get a lot done. But to, to your question, it does, there is mingling uh, but it's not as much as it used to be, and there are pockets of craziness, as Bill Maher describes. Which makes you not want to go out. Uh, <laughs> just... I'm, 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 I'm happy to stay home. Yeah. I'll, I'll go to a Friday's, I'll, uh, and I'll order in. Uh, <laughs> Brett, congratulations. I know your book's out on paperback, right? Uh, to Rescue the it Republic? Is. Yeah, thank you very much. It's going well, and uh, and I'm working on another one. Wow. Uh, Ulysses S. Grant. The Fragile Union and the Crisis of 1876. Uh, go, go pick it up. Brett, thanks so much. I look forward to seeing what, see you, what you have in store for us this week. All right. We'll see you. You got it. Uh, when we come back, I'll finish up with your calls, one 408 and tell you the latest what's going on with the war in Ukraine as the Russians, frustrated and humiliated after the blowing up of the bridge, start rocketing Ukrainian cities again. You're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Learning something new every day on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Dwayne Johnson went on to be a huge success in the wrestling world as The Rock. In 2001, he made the jump to film, and after some early success, Hollywood tried to mold him into a typical leading man. They said, okay, great, but now here's what you have to do. You have to stop working out as much. You have to lose weight. You can't call yourself The Rock. You can't talk about wrestling. Let's stay away from all that. These are all the things they told you. Don't be this anymore. That's right. 
So I tried that. Tracy, I tried getting smaller, losing weight. It all felt wrong. And once you started being yourself... That was it. When that happened, a funny thing happened. Hollywood conformed around me. And years later, I'm sitting here with you. And uh, that's The Rock. I guess he has more movies coming out. Is that why he's doing all this? Where he probably has a series. He's a conglomerate himself. But uh, he's right. You know what this sounds like? Schwarzenegger. Schwarzenegger was the same thing. you got to lose the accent. you got to stop with the bodybuilding. He ends up being a superhero and still does things like the kindergarten cop. We forgot that. He was number one box office guy, too, wasn't he? Oh, he was fantastic. Yeah, he was great. You're right. And then also it sounds like when we had John Christ in last week saying, um, you know, you, you just do comedy based on who you are. No one can steal that. And then people feel like they know you. Right. And you do well. Now, a lot of people told me you can't be on television unless you stop working out. And I said, no, no, I'm going to make television conform to me. Can you imagine if I stop working out? I can't. I mean, how far away would Ainsley have to sit from you then? That'd be unbelievable. That being said, then, um, who is really putting the divot in the couch? Is it you or Pete? It is Pete. There's no question. So he works out more than you? I would say, yes, or whatever (laughs) it is. Pete's a very fit young man, but I would say the couch is already dipping after one weekend, which is unbelievable. That's some bad cushion. I mean, that's not what you get from Raynor and, Fl- uh, and Flanagan. Raymor and Flanagan? Yeah. yeah. Raymor Flanagan. I guess they're not going to be sponsors. Quick thing, <laughs> uh, quick announcement. I've said it before, but I just want to reaffirm it. Brandon, Mississippi, we're going to be November 12th. I want to see everybody there. Uh, go to BrianKillMe.com. And then the next day, don't ask me how we're going to do this. We're going to get to Tulsa, Oklahoma, November 13th. KRMG listeners, I hope to see you there. There's some great seats left. So go to BrianKillMe.com. And the President of Freedom Fighters coming out in paperback, added some great information, kind of updated it. So I think you're all going to love it. It's uh, Abraham Lincoln, Frederick Douglass, and their battle to save America's soul. Let's find out there's even more to know. More to know. So this comedian sparred with a heckler at this Uncle Vinny's Comedy Club in Point Pleasant Beach, New Jersey. Which I can't point Pleasant Beach is where we might be doing a book event, right? Correct. Right. I think Dana was actually at this comedy club a few weeks ago. Really? And yes, yeah, she was actually introducing somebody, wasn't she? I believe so. Yeah. So I guess this got to, do I have to set this up anymore or should I just play it? Um, I think you could just play it and then we Woman's can... on stage and uh, people had... starting to heckle her. She initially asked for questions from the audience and then a woman's like, you vo- didn't vote for Trump and then... It continues. Guys, everybody vote for whoever you want to vote. I don't I don't care who you voted for. I'm just happy we're all here together. So you voted for Biden. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. Why does it matter? Yeah, so what? Why does it matter? I can just talk about your jokes you voted for Biden. Why are we talking about politics? I can tell by the fact that you're still talking when nobody wants you to that you voted for Trump. <laughs> I guess she chugged the beer right after that. Somebody threw a beer at her. Yes, that's what you hear, like the thump. And then she picked up the beer and chugged it. 
which was lauded. Like, so even, I know we all love Jimmy Kimmel so much, but he said, you know, five stars for a flawless performance. He tweeted at her. And then even Patton Oswalt said uh, Ariel wasn't even doing political material. The drunk heckler was craving, well, this is getting more political, but all MAGA craves, grievances and revenge. But um, Ariel Elias is her name. Correct. And um, the point, they booked her back again. Apparently it was the woman's husband that threw the beer. Yeah, just uh, ridiculous. It makes anyone uh, who goes to a comedy club, you should be embarrassed if you act like that. Go to a comedy club to be entertained. It's not your time. But she did, as she said, open it up. Anyone anyway, have any questions? She did. That, does, that is a little bit problematic. She was probably right. expecting different questions. But yeah. Uh, but like, I love their answer. Why does it matter who I voted for? And that's why she could easily say, of course, I voted for Joe Biden. Donald Trump is despicable, but she didn't. So I side with the comedian. Pull up a chair and join me, Rachel Campos Duffy. And me, former U.S. Congressman Sean Duffy, as we share our perspective on the discussions happening at kitchen tables across America. Download from the kitchen table to Duffy's at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you download podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.